Well, we're in a series now on the book of Acts. Every year, right after Easter, we jump into the book of Acts. We're doing it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We've completed 12 chapters over the last few years. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to take, but we're not in a hurry. Uh, we're going to be here for a while, Jesus tarries. And we really want to give the time that the Word of God deserves when you're doing an expository teaching of the, of, of the Scriptures. Uh, and we just don't want to read through because everything in the Bible is significant and important. Uh, there's not an aspect to the Bible. Every detail matters. When the Bible gives names and places and times and seasons, it's validating that these are historical events that occurred. Just like when you tell the story. You know, you can tell where you were at and who you were with and what time it was and what time of the year it was. And you give vivid detail because it's a story that literally you experienced that happened. And that's one of the uh, ways that we know Scripture is, it, it, it verifies itself in, in that way. So we're going to be in Acts 13. I've entitled this chapter, Old Ways Won't Open New Doors. Uh, old ways, the old way, the Old Testament, would not be able to open up the new door of ministry and evangelism and of, of, of spreading of the gospel through the world unless the new covenant had been established. So I want to read from Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it continues to say, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the study of Scripture. We thank you that all Scripture is inspired of you for our teaching, for our admonition, for our instruction, and for our training in righteousness. Thank you for what the Holy Spirit will say to us today as we dive deep into the Holy Scriptures. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Now, this chapter in Acts 13 is a strategic, significant chapter because it's a transition point. This is the moment when the church goes viral, when the church goes global. This is the moment, Acts 13, when really what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you shall receive power, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So Acts chapters 1 through 7 focused on Jerusalem. Acts, uh, the book of Acts chapters 8 through 12 focused on Judea, Samaria. But Acts 13 is when the power of the gospel message is going to go to the entire Gentile world. You're sitting here today saved because of what took place in Acts 13 2,000 years ago. Because the gospel went beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the apostle to the Gentiles is one Saul of Tarshish who was gloriously saved in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And now we see who later is called Paul, which it, this happens in Acts 13 when he no longer will, will, be, will be referred to as Saul, but will be called Paul. This happens here. This is when Barnabas and Saul are sent out by the church there in Antioch. Uh, the church in Antioch is a significant church 
It was a gen predominantly a Gentile church. And it was there in Antioch. We studied this in Acts chapter 11. In that church in Antioch, the church of Antioch, where believers were first called Christians uh, there in Antioch. Now, here's what's interesting. Once again, the Bible gives details because details matter. It lists five men, five individuals there in the church of, of Antioch. And this is how we know that the church of Antioch was a healthy church and a strong church because it had strong, distinguished leaders. So why does the Bible give us their names? Well, Luke, who is the one that wrote the book of Acts, as he was inspired of the Holy Spirit, he was told of the Lord to include these details for our benefit. So we can't just pass by the names that are mentioned here because these names are significant. The first individual that's mentioned is Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was mentioned first probably because uh, there, there's a great assumption out there, and this is all speculation, but it's, it's, good, it's a good assumption. He was the senior pastor of the church at Antioch. Now, many of you are familiar with Barnabas because in the Bible he's called the son of encouragement. Barnabas was a great guy. He was an encourager. You know, there are, he had the gift of encouragement. You know, there are people in all of our lives that have the gift of discouragement. What we need are more people that have the gift of encouragement. And so Barnabas was one of those individuals. Now, Barnabas was a key player in the early church because when Saul of Tarshish was saved, Barnabas took Saul under his wing. Nobody trusted Saul's conversion initially. I mean, he was a persecutor of the church. He consented to the stoning of Stephen, the first uh, New Testament martyr. Uh, he arrested Christians. He had Christians put to death. And all of a sudden, he's become a Christian? Yeah, right. They were leery. But Barnabas is the one that took Saul under his wing. Barnabas is the one that introduced Saul to the pillars of the New Testament church, the apostles, Peter, James, and John, in Jerusalem. You know, shortly after Saul was saved, he went to Arabia, and there he studied for three years before he actually entered into active, full, what we would call full-time ministry. Barnabas was a key player in that. And really, we all need a Barnabas. We all need to be a Barnabas, and we all need a Barnabas. When we get saved, we need somebody that will take us under their wing. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, I was a teenager living in Albuquerque, and I had never been to a Protestant church. And uh, I'm a Christian now, and I'm hanging out with some Christian friends, and they invited me to their church. It, was, it happened to be a four-square church. And I went there, and I got involved in the youth ministry. Thank God for youth pastors, like Sarah and Josh, and thank God for the youth ministry, because you're influencing that next generation. There were youth leaders there, one in particular, his name was Jim Millian. He was an older man that kind of was like an adult sponsor. It was a smaller church, and so he kind of filled in. He took an interest in me, and he would take me to go play racquetball and go get a Coke, and he, would, he, would, he was instructing me in the ways of the Lord, and he invested in me. I mean, you never know the young people that we have the chance to invest in, Sarah. You know, I mean, the next Texas Ranger might be in there. You know, the next surgeon might be in there. You know, the next youth pastor, the next, you know, entrepreneur may be in there. And so we have an opportunity to be a Barnabas to them. The second person that's mentioned is Niger, right? Niger. Simeon, who was called Niger. You know what Niger means? Black. So here's what we know about Simeon. And here's what we know about the church of Antioch. It was a healthy church. It was a blessed church. It was a strong church because it was a diverse church. Simeon was there, and he was a darker-skinned individual. The word Niger means darker skin. You know that God, in his creative beauty, he created the different pigmentations of skin color. 
And isn't it wonderful to know that we're all not all one color or one shade? We have lighter, we have darker, we have in between, and it's the expression of God's beauty. And I don't know why we make such a big deal about it one way or the other. Now, this is speculation, but Simon of Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. We know that in Mark 15, 21. We assume, we assume that Simeon, who was called Niger, was Simeon of Cyrene. And who is Simeon of Cyrene? He's the one that when Jesus was carrying the cross down the Via Della Rosa, he fell under the weight of that cross, and a dark-skinned man by the name of Simon of Cyrene came and picked up that cross and carried it for Jesus. You know, we owe a debt to really all the races of the world that God's created that have shown love to Jesus Christ, and particularly one Simon of Cyrene and all his lineage. God bless him. But Alexander and Rufus, uh, mentioned in Mark 15, 21, Mark mentions them because apparently uh, the, these two guys, these two boys, were influential in the early church. And here's what we know. Here's what we know according to Romans 16, 13. These are details of the Bible that are important. Here's what we know. We know that the Apostle Paul stayed in the home of Alexander and Rufus. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 16, 13 says this. He considered Rufus's mother his own mother. Whoever Rufus's mother was, she was a good mom. She was a good woman. She must have been a good cook because, you know, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So Paul called her his own mother. And, and what's interesting about that is this. Ladies, listen to me. In, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says that the younger, that, w- that in a church, young men should treat the younger women as sisters, the older men as fathers, and the older women as mothers. You see, the church, we're a family. We're, we're the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's an appropriate, proper way that we're to interact and treat one another. And older women, for the older women that are in service today, you are to be treated like a mother. Whether you ever give birth to a child or adopt a child, as a woman, the nurturing abilities and the nurturing gifts that God has blessed your life with, you are like a spiritual mom. All women, once you reach a certain age, I don't know what that age is, but once you reach that certain age, um, you are to really carry that anointing, that mantle of a mom. And it's a beautiful thing, and the Apostle Paul affirmed that by saying, you're to treat all the older women in the church as mothers. And Paul considered Alexander and Rufus, his, these, these young men, their mom as his own mother. The third person that's mentioned here is Lucius. He was from Cyrene. Um, he, was one of, he was a group of individuals in Acts 11.20 that went to Antioch and there helped to establish the church. The, the, and it was a Gentile church, by the way. A church filled with Jews and Greeks and Romans and, and people from really all over the world. It was a very diverse church there in Antioch. And Lucius was one of those missionaries, one of those leaders that helped to found that church. You know, and what God is doing here is that in a church, there are so many influential people that make a church work. Those that volunteer from deacons to ushers to elders to staff to, to people that work in youth ministry or kids place. It takes all types of gifted God-loving, Jesus-loving, God-fearing leaders to come together to make a church healthy and to make a church strong. So God bless Lucius. The fourth person that's mentioned here is Mannion. 
Mannion is a Greek form of a Hebrew name, so he was probably a Hellenistic Jew, this individual. But here is what's significant. When, when God mentions him here in Acts 13, it says that he, he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Once again, details matter. Now, there are multiple Herods, about five Herods that are mentioned in the Bible. Who was Herod the Tetrarch? He was the one who stole his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and made her his unlawful wife. This Herod and Herodias are the ones that arrested John the Baptist and cut off John the Baptist's head. So Mannion was a part of the church of Antioch, and it tells us if he was raised with royalty, he himself was a prince. Imagine, he hung out with Herod. Herod was a little Hitler in the Bible. A little demon kid in the Bible. And they were raised in the same environment. They went to the same school. They played the same sports together. They, you know, they went to the same youth group. One became Hitler, <laughs> a monster, a beast. And the other became a God-fearing, godly man. You know, in all of life, we all have a path that we're going to follow. And sometimes we come to a fork in the road and we can choose to go good or evil, right or wrong. Herod, the Tetrarch, had every opportunity to be a good person and to be a godly man, but he chose to go the wrong way. Thank God for Mannion that he chose to go the right way. And I think God's challenge to us is that we'll choose the right paths whenever we find ourselves in a particular fork in, in our road. And if you've gone down the wrong path, how many know you can make a U-turn? You can repent. And that's what it means to, to do a 180, right? To turn around and go in the other direction. The fifth person that's mentioned is Saul of Tarshish. Now, Saul really doesn't need an introduction, but we do know a lot about Saul. He later becomes the great apostle Paul, the most influential, significant human being to ever walk the face of the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And here's, here's kind of the beginning of the working of him becoming eventually a prophet and an apostle. Um, Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He tells his testimony in Philippians chapter 2. He was uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, he was the most dedicated and strict. He was a religious zealot. And he lists all his accomplishments, his worldly religious accomplishments, and he ends up saying, I count them all but dung compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. That Greek word that Paul uses there for dung, you don't want me to use the true translation of that word in church because it starts with an S. There's some colorful language in the Bible you need to know. If you ever start reading it, don't be shocked. But in the original Greek, he said all of that I consider just a pile of manure compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus. So this is the beginning of Saul of Tarshish under the tutelage and mentoring of Barnabas. So thank God for Barnabas. And what continues now are what I call the pillars of a healthy church. So here's what it says. As they worship and fasted and, look what it says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord. Let's say that together. As they ministered to the Lord. Now I know we come to church to receive ministry from the Lord. And, and he never ceases to amaze us. Whenever we read the Bible or pray or worship, wherever we're at, 
the Lord ministers to us. And so we come to church to be ministered to by the Lord. How many of you have received ministry so far that you've been in church today? You've been, okay, okay, there we go, right? He ministers to us. But Christianity is not always about us receiving ministry from the Lord. It's a, and coming to church is not always about us receiving ministry from the Lord. But coming to church and living our life is also about us ministering to the Lord. And so that's what they were doing in the church of Antioch. They were busy not only receiving ministry from the Lord, but they were ministering to the Lord. When you and I worship, when you and I pray, when you and I fast, we are directly ministering to the Lord. And really, the Bible advocates directional ministry, three directional ministry. We minister to the Lord, he ministers to us, and then we minister to others. And by the way, speaking of ministers how many ministers do we happen to have in this particular service maybe you're a worship minister a music minister maybe you're a minister in a church and you're visiting if you're, if you're a minister raise your hand anyone one thing okay god bless you all super super okay uh let me ask you this question how many in service today are christians raise your hand raise your hand if you're a christian raise your hand okay that's how many i tricked you i'm sorry that's how many ministers we have <laughs> guess what we're all in the ministry I know sometimes we think, well, I'm not, I'm not credentialed, I'm not ordained, I'm not licensed. No. All of us as Christians, we are all ministers. The, the Greek word used here is later ghetto. And it, it's, it means like in, in politics, the way it was used in, in Rome and in the, in the Greek world was like a minister of defense. Or those that minister the Eucharistic services, the sacerdotal responsibilities of a priest or pastor or what we would define as a minister. But here's what the word really means. Ministry, the definition of ministry is to serve others with love. So whenever, there should be <laughs> PowerPoint, but there we go, thank you. Ministry is serving others with love. There's a big hint. If I walk by this, it's because I'm, 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 something should be coming up on the screen. So you are a minister. You see, husbands, you're a minister to your wife because you minister to them, you serve them with love. Wives, you're a minister to your husband because you serve your husband with love. Parents, you minister to your children. You are a minister to your children because you serve them with love. Young people, you minister to your parents because you serve them with love. When you go to school, when you go to work, wherever you go, you are a minister of Jesus Christ because everywhere we go, we want to serve others with love, and that's what it means to be a minister. And so, how many ministers do we have in church this morning? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. You're getting it. Amen. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the, let's say together, the ministry of reconciliation. What type of ministers are we? We're ministers of reconciliation, reconciling the world back to God through Jesus Christ, through the sharing of the gospel. And then look at 1 Corinthians 16.15. I beseech you, this is the, the King, authorized King James Version uh, translation. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. So when the gospel was preached here, the first people to get saved were of the house of Stephanus. And it goes on to say, and they have, what's that next word? Addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The Bible speaks of addiction, and the best kind of addiction is an addiction to serving others with 
the love of God. They were addicted to ministering to the saints in that church in Achaia. Come on, let's thank God for all those who are addicted to the ministry. And don't let that word throw you off. That word actually means devoted. These people were so devoted. And I thank God for all the devoted men and women here at Trinity. Our deacons, our elders, those that volunteer in kids' place, ushers, greeters, those that help out in youth ministry, those that serve in the men's ministry or women's ministry, those that serve and help at the outreach or heartline or when we have our R2R race, which is right around the corner, and you show up early and you help and you take down. And you're ministers. You're serving. We're serving this community with love. And we've been given this ministry, and so thank God we've addicted ourselves to that ministry. Those who work on the platform and the musicians and the singers and those that work in the AVL and those that are the maintenance, part of the maintenance crew and the facilities crew and everybody working together, we're all ministers. Not just the one that's up here preaching or the main person that's up here singing. All of us are ministers. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, minister of the gospel. Go and say, hello, you're, you're a minister of the gospel. I declare that over you in Jesus' name. Now, it's hard to go verse by verse when you only have 30 minutes. You know that, don't you? So i got to move along real quickly. Pillars of a healthy church. The next thing is mentioned here is the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 2, it says, the Holy Spirit said. Let's say that together. The Holy Spirit said. How many know that uh, the Holy Spirit has a voice and he speaks? The Father has a voice and he speaks. The, the Son has a voice and he speaks. The Blessed Holy Trinity, the third member of that Blessed Holy Trinity is the Holy Spirit himself. And the Holy Spirit is so active in the book of Acts. You know, uh, the Father was, was like the, the, the main, the main uh, expression in the Old Testament. The Son, the main expression in the Gospels. But the Holy Spirit is like the main expression of the Holy Trinity in, in the epistles. Uh, particularly in the book of Acts. And here it says, because they had worshipped, fasted, and prayed, they created an environment for the Holy Spirit to speak. I, I spent uh, this past week in Denver, I was doing like a study break, and I was staying with my son and his roommate, and uh, they, they work all day, and so they have a beautiful apartment <laughs> on the 16th floor of an apartment complex in downtown Denver, so uh, it's a great place for me during the day to study and do what I do, and then hang out with my son in, in the evening, and so I was on my flight back, uh, back to Lubbock, and I was sitting next to a lady, and I, and I was pulling out my sermon notes, and she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, well, what kind of a church? And I said, well, it's, it's a Christian church, non-denominational church, Jesus-loving church. And uh, she goes, her and her husband go to church. They, they live in the Denver area, and they were on their way uh, traveling to see family. And she said, you know, I have a question for you. And my, my husband and I, we've been asking ourselves this question and people in our church, and we're, we're in, that, in a season where we're just wondering how do you hear the Holy Spirit? That's, that's what she said. How do you hear the Holy Spirit? I said, I'm happy to preach on that this weekend. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, the Holy Spirit spoke. And many times we think that the Holy Spirit speaks like a friend speaks. You know, like you can just pick up the phone and say, hello, God, what's going on? Not much. What are you doing? Nothing. How about you? I just ate breakfast. You? I haven't had anything yet. You don't, you don't sound yourself today, Lord. Is everything okay? You know, I mean, you know, I, I listen to some preachers and like, and the Lord told me, and then the Lord told me, and the Lord revealed to me, and the Lord told me. And I'm like, man, they have a great conversation with God. Does he ever tell anything about what stocks to invest in? Does he ever tell you about the next, you know, terrorist attack? I mean, you have such a good conversation. So when we talk, when we think about the Lord speaking to us, yes, he speaks to us, and yes, he can speak to us, and yes, he's speaking to us, and he speaks to us in many ways. But it's not usually in the way that we would like, like an audible voice. Now, there are rare occasions in the Bible 
where the audible voice of God was heard. Maybe there are some of you in here that, and, and I don't downplay this anyway, I mean this sincerely, you have, in your lifetime, you've heard the audible voice of God, and that's awesome. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard him speak, and he has spoken to me in dreams, and, and I know it's been proven out that it was a dream from the Lord, and he spoke to me in that dream. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. It's, I think it would be a terrifying thing to do that. So how does the Holy Spirit speak? Because he spoke here. Did the Holy Spirit speak in an audible voice? We don't know for certain. Um, but what we do know, more than likely, because there were prophets and teachers in the church of Antioch, we read that, more than likely the Holy Spirit spoke through a prophet. There was a prophet mentioned in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 21, his name is Agabus. He was in the church and he was a legitimate prophet. And he told them that a famine was coming. And it may have been that because they fasted, prayed, and were worshiping the Lord, they created an atmosphere, environment for the prophetic gift to operate. And at that time, that's when the Holy Spirit spoke through one of the prophets and said, here's the assignment for Barnabas and Saul. So how does the Holy Spirit speak? He can speak that way through a prophet. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the 66 books of the Holy Bible. Because at the time of this, the New Testament was, had, not been, had not been written yet, all right? We didn't have it yet. So ultimately, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. Uh, but the Holy Spirit can also speak to us through a friend. The Holy Spirit can speak to us through a song. The Holy Spirit can speak to us through an angel. The Holy Spirit can speak to us through a dream, through a vision. There are many channels in which the Holy Spirit can speak to us, but the Holy Spirit will never speak anything to you that is ever contrary to what has already been spoken through and by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scriptures. But I think the most precise way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us outside of reading and studying the Bible, of course, is what is said in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So there is a, a bearing witness of the Holy Spirit inside of your spirit. Not your head, not your flesh, but your spirit man. Proverbs says, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. And so the, the spiritual part of you, you are a spiritual being, you have a soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. So your, your spirit comes in contact with the Holy Spirit, and there's this bearing of witness. There's this knowing. Sometimes, you know, we think, well, does the Lord need to tell me when I should go to the grocery store? No, not really. Uh, when I go to the grocery store, do I need to say, Lord, which detergent, oh, Holy Spirit, which detergent shall I buy? Which, which should it be this one or this one? Oh, Holy Spirit. You just buy whatever you want, okay? You don't need a Lord for that. We walk by faith and not by sight. And if we need a, a definite, clear word of God for everything in life, where's the trust? Where's the walking out of our faith? Knowing that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. But there are times like, who, might, who are you going to marry? Should you, live, should you move to that city? Should you go to that university? When you're about to make important major decisions in your life, you need to know. You need to pray. God can speak to us through godly counsel, godly advisors. And so you need to go through a process, a series of making sure that you are hearing God clearly. And at the end of the day, it's just this bearing witness in your heart. You know that you know, and the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit, and then you act in obedience. And the final thing that I want to share, and we'll pick up where we left off next week, is there was a separation to a calling that occurs. So the Holy Spirit speaks, and in verse 2, the Holy Spirit says, Now, separate unto me, separate unto me two individuals, 
of the five that were mentioned, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. This is past tense. This is present tense. Something happened in the past where Saul and Barnabas were called by the Holy Spirit to a special assignment. And then there was a separation to that calling. Here's the process. In life, you can receive a special calling, and it can take years of waiting, of patience, of preparation, of training, of development, until boom, now it's time for you to be separated and to step into the fullness of that calling. Think of David in the Old Testament as a teenager. As a very young man, a prophet shows up to his house one day. He has a horn filled with oil. He pours it over David in front of his father, mother, and brothers and anoints him to be the next king of Israel. He was called at that moment to be the next king of Israel. But then he went back to tending sheep. He went back to delivering cheese. He went back to playing music for the king. And it wasn't until he was 30, about 13, maybe 14, 15 years later, that he actually was separated into the calling to be the next king of Israel. Joseph in the Old Testament at the age of 17 was called to be a mighty leader that had influence in a dream. 17. He was called to be, to be that, to do that. But it wasn't until 13 years later, he was 30, that he actually stepped into that position of great leadership and great influence. Our Lord Jesus, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was God in human form. But it wasn't until the age of 30 that he was actually separated into the calling of Messiahship. At the age of 12, he understood his calling. He told his parents, don't you know I must be about my father's business? At the age of 12, he knew what his call, he knew he was the son of God. He knew he was the savior of the world. But it wasn't until he was 30 that he was separated unto that calling. There was a time of growth, and the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. So you're called, and then you're separated to that calling. And these are two different events. You're called, you know, Jeremiah was separated, and he was called, set apart in his mother's womb. It wasn't until his matured adult years that he actually stepped into being the prophet God called him to be. Many of you are single. You're called to be married. You're called to be married. You know you're, gonna, you're, you're called to be married. You know you're supposed to be married. But then there's going to be a season of time, of preparation, and being patient before you're separated into that calling. Maybe you're called to be an entrepreneur or a doctor or a business person or a truck driver to own your own company someday. You're, we all have different callings. And everything that we do for the Lord is ministry, whether it's vocational or marketplace ministry. There are gifts, spiritual gifts in the Bible mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, and motivational gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12, and then ministry gifts mentioned in Ephesians 4. Evangelist, past, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So many gifts, so many expressions of leadership and of skill and of talent that God blesses all of us with. And we're all called, each and every one of us are called. But there's a time of growth and maturity, and when we are in a church, and we're submitted to the leadership of that church, and we're involved in the life of that church, when big moments come, we're not just stepping out on our own, presumptuously. 
we have the prayers and we have the blessing and the sending out of that local church. So as a teenager, I knew I was called to be a senior pastor one day. I knew I was called to be a senior pastor. I didn't know how and when, but there was a dream in my heart. And I was called as a teenager, and then I went to school, and I studied, and I was faithful in my churches, and I served. I was a youth leader. I was a singles pastor. I was an executive pastor. But it wasn't until 2001 where I was separated. I was sent out by the church of Albuquerque through ministry and worship and the laying on of hands. And I was sent to Lubbock to be a part of this church. So there's a calling and there's a separation to the calling. And in between the two, we have to learn how to be patient and how to trust the Lord. What I love about this story that we're studying here in Acts 13, there were prophets, there were teachers, there were distinguished leaders in that church. It was a healthy church. It was a church that was based on prayer. It was a church that was based on worship. It was a church that not only received ministry from the Lord, but they ministered back to the Lord and they ministered to one another. And when the time came for people to be sent out of that church, it was a godly spiritual moment when hands were laid and these people were released to the assignment God called them. That's the standard that God wants us as a church to follow. So many times we look at people and we say, well, they, they weren't sent, they just went. You know what I mean? There are those that are sent and those that just went. So many people, they leave churches for such unspiritual reasons. You know, I got offended or they didn't say hi to me or my favorite seat was taken by somebody else. I'm never going back to that church. You laugh, but I'm telling you, man, it happens more than you could, you could ever imagine. Or people say, why'd you leave the church? I wasn't being fed there, you know. And, and uh, really, you weren't being, you're, you're supposed to feed yourself. If, if you only ate one meal a day, you'd be the scrawniest person. You wouldn't be very healthy. Thank God for the one meal that we receive on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. But how many know that you need to be feeding on the Word of God throughout the entire week? You can't put it on one pastor to feed me, you know. So many times, even pastors leave churches because they get a better offer someplace else. That's not always the case, but most of the time, unfortunately, it is. A bigger church and bigger salary and bigger pay and bigger influence. I feel called of the Lord. The important thing is being where you are until you're sent. I was at my former church, and I'm, I'm, I'm no standard of, of really of anything but this is just my story and I'm not trying to sound super spiritual but I was at my former church for 16 years and I had a, a longing and a yearning that I knew it and there's nothing and some of us are called just to be associate pastors and that's an awesome calling and I, I was I thought I was one of the best associate pastors you know ever but I knew I was called to be a senior pastor I didn't know how I didn't know where I didn't know when but I waited and waited and waited and then old ways won't open up new doors of opportunity. But as I was faithful in that which was another man's and faithful that the assignment that God gave me, the moment came when one door shut and another door opened. And just like Barnabas and Saul, when I was in my former church and I went to my pastor and I shared what I felt the Lord was saying to me and I said, I want you to bear witness with that. And thankfully he did. Because at the end of the day, you have to obey God rather than man. And I'm glad it worked out this way. He said, well, we will pray for you. We will send you out with the blessing. And I remember that day with 
my wife and I, and we had some elders from Trinity that were there, and they prayed for us, and they had a, a sending out celebration for us, and we were sent out of that church, and we landed here. I want you to know, you're called, you're anointed, you're a minister, you have the ministry of reconciliation, and God, many of you have already been separated into that calling, but there may be new callings down the way that God is going to separate you to. And we need to continue to minister to the Lord and be faithful to the Lord and be faithful to the house of God. And when our time comes, God knows how to get a hold of us and those that we're doing life with. And there can be a time of great blessing and a great sending out. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. We thank you, Lord. We bless you today, Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we're so thankful the Holy Spirit does speak. You spoke at Antioch, speak now. You're speaking through this message, and we want to be sensitive to what you're saying to each of us. So, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word today. And, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? I want you to pray that prayer under your breath. Lord, what are you saying to me? I receive it, Lord. I receive it, and by faith, I want to apply it to my life. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible also says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth, mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you, serve you all the days of my life beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?